This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. That's right, you're listening to Binge Boys. Across from me is my horny bearded friend, Lon Harris. And what's, what's, what's horny? Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. Why, why would you say that. it like that? That's so weird. Oh, I don't know. That's the energy that starts it out with. Like, I'm some creep over, like, ah, we got, like, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? Seriously. Oh, plenty. Plenty. I would definitely be like, sitting across from me, a real perv. You know him as Hal Rudnick. Like, what kind of? You know what? Let me, let me take that again. Welcome to Binge Boys. Sitting across from me is the mild-mannered Lon Harris. Thank and you. Delightful. I am the resident horn dog, Hal Rudnick. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. that. I mean, that is just, this is just, you know, this is just honesty in journalism. I mean, this is just, this is just, that's just honest reporting. Ooh, I'm a dog in heat. Of the the two of us, you're clearly the the randier personality. Clearly, I think. Exactly, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm perched on my desk like a cat. Yeah, I'm sedate and respectful, and you're like ready to pounce at any moment. Who look, watch out. Oh, yeah. Mothers hide your daughters. How Rudnick is here. Ooh, m- mothers hide your daughters. Father hide your son. I am just out. Oh, wow. I'm just yeah. on the town looking for some just... push. In the words of ZZ Top. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> is that what they're saying? That they're looking for some tush? Yes. ZZ, oh. ZZ Top has a song called tush. I don't. Yeah, no, I know. I, well, because it, it's that, uh, uh, you know, I've been around. I ain't asking for much. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he says, Lord, take me downtown. I'm looking for some tush. Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Lon, I never just... thought, I never really thought about what he had to touch me. I don't know. Lon, you're a bearded. You need to know ZZ Top. You're as a, as a I mean, I clearly bearded. know the song you're talking about. I've, I've just performed it live, but. You did. You did. Tush. It just, it's like, it's such a weird, because it's, tush is both. It's funny because it's it's both like a little like weirdly dirty for a yes. song like that, but also but not dirty. It's like kinda, yeah, colloquial. It's like yeah, uh, it's you like know, what it's you're like what a mother would say to a child. Right, like, Go wipe your tush. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's <laughs> it's infantilizing in a weird in a weird way. 
Oh, it's like you're man. looking for to- you're looking for children's bottoms. Why oh, are you no. looking for that? Oh, ZZ well, now Top? you just okay. Now you just completely reshaped the song. Yeah. Well, that's I didn't do this. ZZ Top did this. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, they have a whole other song that's just about legs. They, there's a weird there's a weird compartmentalizing going on. And it's also infantilizing because it's talking about these women and their legs, and they know how to use them. Yeah, it's like for yes. walking. We all yeah, know how to toddler. use them. A toddler learns how to use their legs at one and a half. <laughs> no, he, he means she knows how to use them to fucking turn me on. Oh, like make or, me a horn. Like that's what that, oh, it's not that she knows how to get like, around on her legs. Or like Lola Bunny to like show a right. little leg and get a, there, a car to stop. To uh, although there is a song uh, about knowing how to use your legs. It's called Locomotion. So listen. Drew, all, Drew. all kinds of music in pop music history there. There are songs that are just like, here's how to walk around. Yep. There's Walk Like a Man. Walk Like an Egyptian also. Yeah. Uh, Which I don't think is accurate. I don't believe, I think that's how they, that's the art, but I don't think they actually walked around like that. Yeah, I don't think they walked around like zigzagging their hands back and forth. Right, like I don't think, I think that's just the stupid thing that we assumed. Actually, it's just, that's it's just probably, what the drawings look like. Uh, I, I wonder if, uh, if if Egyptian people find that song racially insensitive and- uh, Ancient, only ancient Egyptians find that very insensitive. You know what, Susanna Hoffs, or whatever her name is, and the Bangles uh, canceled in- um, In, <laughs> in, in, in ancient, ancient Egypt. In not, not modern day Egypt, just ancient Egypt, but oh, they yeah. very, they really don't appreciate it. Back yeah, then. you better stay out of the. You better keep your butts out of those out of those tombs, Bengals. It's a good. This is a good comic premise. People in previous historical eras being offended by modern day pop culture. You better like, not come sniffing around King Tut's sarcophagus. You know, like imagine like the in the name of the Rose Monks seeing uh you know wet ass pussy like that would just be like you know you'd set off a a twelfth century firestorm. Oh my goodness! No. I mean, that, what, what would they? What could, would they possibly do? This is like the next Spider-Man movie, where it's just going to be like going through oh. portals, showing shocking people from the past with our pop culture ephemera. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, what would what would Charles Lindbergh have to say about fuck the police? <laughs> Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> okay. Uh, You're like, I need the police to find my baby. Where's my baby? (laughs) Call the police. It may be easy. E can help. I don't know. But cops should be involved. Oh, yes. Folks, it's a Lindbergh baby run that we just did. So it's a look it up. Google and and scene. Uh, Lon, this was (laughs) you know what? We, we we I started by really offending you, but I feel like we really deeply took it, deeply offending we took me. It, we took that the gamut that that opening. Uh, yeah, you know what? That was so good. It should be behind the paywall. Lon, let's jump into the news. <laughs> the news with Lon. Uh, the Lindbergh baby has been kidnapped, folks. No, oh, I'm no, that, stop that happened the many. That happened but many, many years. But for every kidnapped baby, John Mulaney and Olivia Munn had their baby. So <laughs> they, the Lord taketh and the Lord giveth. Yeah, wow, that's <laughs> dark. Really dark. Uh, no, that happened in the 1930s, folks. I'm just kidding. Uh, in, in present day news, Netflix grabbed the rights to a series about the life of singer Frank Sinatra. This comes from creator and writer Bill Condon. You, of course, know Bill Condon. Uh, how maybe Money he's ball? your neighbor. You know a lot of people. No, no, no. It's oh. not. That's that's a Bennett Miller directed oh, Moneyball. Yeah. 
Uh, Bill Condon wrote the Oscar-winning script for Gods and Monsters, yes. the Oscar-dominated script for Chicago, also wrote The Greatest Showman, directed yes, Dreamgirls, yes, yes. Kinsey, and of course those Twilight Breaking Dawn movies. Those were yes, Bill Condon yes, originals. Yes. I really uh, liked, so, I love Ian McClellan in Gods and Monsters. I thought that was a very affecting performance. Yes, he's great. Brendan Brendan Fraser also in Gods and Monsters. If you guys, if you kids have not seen Gods and Monsters, it was a late '90s indie film in which uh, Ian McKellen played the director James Whale uh, towards the very end of his life. The great sort of horror icon. Mm. Uh, very good movie. Uh, anyway, back to this one. So uh, Frank's daughter Tina Sinatra is on board as an executive producer. So that means that they can use Sinatra songs and performances. Like they'll have the rights to the Sinatra catalog. Oh, you know, you know what Tina says? These boots were made for producing. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, that's you. that's not that's Nancy. That that's was Nancy. Nancy. That's Nancy. That was Nancy but, Sinatra. But yeah, but Tina's boots. Nancy's boots are made for walking. Tina's boots are made for producing her father's biopic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Managing her father's estate is what her boots were for. Uh, so she'll be an executive producer. So there is good. It means it means we'll have the access to the Sinatra archives, but it means it, it, it it's not going to be warts and all. We're going to get the the family approved version of Frank's life. Uh, probably de-emphasizing maybe the mob stuff, oh, yeah. emphasizing the more palatable side well, are they because it's an are authorized they gonna, biography. Oh, are they going to include Sinatra, Sinatra's fa famous song, I like slapping the ladies, slapping I mean, look, them in the face. It's been long enough that I feel like this is one of those things where it's not going to be totally sanitized, you know? Mm -hmm. Like how... Queen produced the Bohemian Rhapsody film. It wasn't yeah. like no nothing bad. It was just like de-emphasized. Although I guess that one they really did clean it up. There was a scene where Freddie Mercury's partying and like Brian May is there and he's yeah. and Freddie Mercury's like, have a drink, and he's like, Oh no, Freddie, we all gotta go home to our wives. And I'm like, I'm sure that's just how it happened in yeah. real life. I'm sure this is not at all the Queen approved version of the Queen story. Anyway, are they going to include the famous scene where uh, where Frank Sinatra uh, puts a pistol in Jerry Lewis's mouth and tells him <laughs> to suck it like a dick? Suck I hope it so. like a dick, Jerry Lewis. I I sincerely hope so. I mean, I do feel like yeah, they'll probably lean into like the Rat Pack era and the acting and you know like the the glamour, the glamour first. Uh, you know, you know who did a great Frank Sinatra. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was, yeah, the greatest. Like, I remember, and this is, it's such an old, it's it's several old references together, but he yeah. used to do that parody of the McLaughlin Group. Oh, you remember yes. the McLaughlin Group, which was this political roundtable show hosted mm -hmm. by this very abrasive man named John McLaughlin who used to yell at his guests. Yeah. And so, uh, interestingly, they, Dana Carvey used to do parodies of the McLaughlin Group, and then Phil Hartman started doing parodies of the McLaughlin group, but if Frank Sinatra hosted it and all the panelists were like his like toadies yes. and yes men. Because yes, as you said it, I was thinking Dana Carvey. You just connected it for me. Yeah. Right. And they, they, Saturday Night Live used to do multiple different levels of parody of this one weird Sunday morning political show. But right. yeah, Phil Hartman's version was always going to be like, all right, this is your number four, baby. Sinead O'Connor, what's with her bald head? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen yeah. what do you think? And they're like, you said it, Frank. Uh, I believe that was Mike Myers and Victoria Jackson played Stephen Eady. Wow. That's my memory of 90s SNL folks Nicely coming to the done. foreground. Nicely done. 
You're the king, Frank. Shut up, you two. That was, and it was just that <laughs> over and over again. I crap uh, yeah, bigger that was, than you. Well, right. I grew up with that. Like, that was my version of Frank Sinatra growing up was like this old, you know, loud guy with the cigar who was always putting everybody down. He was like the king of every, everything. Well, we had that version, and then we also had actual Frank Sinatra. Because no, that's what I mean. Alive. Like, Frank Sinatra yeah. was still alive. Yeah. That's just how I thought of him because that was our pop culture image of him. It wasn't until years later that I saw, you know, the old movies and I'd heard more of the music because that was right. not – that was not like my – nobody was into that music when I was growing up. There wasn't Sinatra being played in the house. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the mob ties and everything. Uh, uh, plenty of people listening probably know this. Some might not. The uh, – um, the crooner in uh, The Godfather was loosely can you, based can on you, Frank You can't Sinatra. name him? Come on, you can name him. Um, oh, uh, Who's the Sinatra alter ego in The Godfather? Vincent Vega. No, it's Johnny Fontaine. Yes, Johnny Fontaine. Comes in here with his olive oil hair yes, and guinea yes. charm. Anyway, it's the it's best a, piece of ass I've yeah. ever had. She was the greatest piece of ass I've ever seen, and I've had it all over the world. <laughs> amazing performance. That guy's yes. amazing. Yes. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yes, Johnny Fontaine and The Godfather, loosely inspired by, by Frank Sinatra. Yes. Moving on. Sam Waterston will reprise his role as District Attorney Jack McCoy in NBC's new Law & Order revival. So there, <laughs> it's... It's going to be the 21st overall season of Law & Order. Of course, it wrapped up years ago after season 20, and now they're bringing it back. Uh, this will be Waterston's 17th season as D.A. Jack McCoy. Anthony Anderson, he was on the the last few seasons of its original run. He's also going to come back as mm. Detective Kevin Bernard. Very nice. Um, I was just going to say, speaking of old SNL crap... <laughs> Uh, from Sam our last Wa story. Yes. Sam Watterson in one of my favorite SNL commercial parodies, uh, Old Glory Robot Insurance. Right. Insurance for oh, against robot attacks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> look it up, folks, as you're, you know what? Pause <laughs> the podcast. Go, yeah. go look it up and have a laugh and then come back and rejoin right. us. And then come back and you rejoin this new story already in progress. Uh, <laughs> newcomers. To this Law and Order show, we got Jeffrey Donovan joining the cast. We got oh, Hugh God, Dancy. I you were about to say Jeffrey Dahmer, and I'm like, no, don't put that guy on the show. Late serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> don't. That's bad casting. No, it's all of season one. They're hunting down Jeffrey Dahmer, and then oh, in the finale, oh, they're like, okay, no, yeah, no, he's already dead. He was no, we arrested him years ago, and he's dead now. Uh, well, you just gave the spoiler. And then, D you know, they have one of those scenes like at the end of Law and Order where it's like, ah, well, all right, back to it tomorrow. You know, let's go get a drink. You know, it's like, the, like, all right, all right, get him next time. Uh, Netflix and Spike Lee, they've teamed up for a multi-year creative partnership. They've, they've already made four projects together. That mm -hmm. includes the film Defy Bloods, which Spike Lee directed. Uh, he also produced a film for them. He produced a one-man show. Roger Guinevere Smith, I think is his name. He did yes. a one-man show called Rodney King uh, that Spike Lee produced. And, uh, you know, so, so they're, they've already been working together a lot. They're going to re-up for a multi-year creative partnership. He's going to not only direct more Netflix films, but bring them other projects as a producer. The next thing they're working on is the period fantasy film Gordon Hemingway and the Realm of Cthulhu which he's going to produce. Mm. Stefan Bristol is going to direct. Uh, that it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's set in the 20s. It's in Africa. 
but it's like sort of epic, like high fantasy. Like it oh, sounds cool. like it's going to be a sort of fantasy horror sort of genre project, but in this you know period in in uh, in Africa. I'm interested to hear more about that. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I like I like Cthulhu. I like his. Uh, I like all the uh, right, the, like love, like space. a little bit. Maybe like a Lovecraft country, but also like yeah. an adventure sort of mm-hmm. serial vibe. But, you know, in this kind of this this different setting. Uh, Netflix also this week, uh, a first look deal with Megan the Stallion, rapper oh, Megan the Stallion. Yes. Recent college graduate Megan the Stallion. Congratulations to her. She also graduated with her Bachelor of Science degree this week. I don't know if you oh, saw Oh, from that. where? From what university? You gonna you gonna quiz me on that? All right, I'll look oh, it up. I don't know. No, I, sorry, I'll look sorry. it up. Where she grad? I don't. I don't want to leave you hanging. I'm gonna look it up. Thanks, Lon. You're welcome. I didn't know I had to come prepared with. Uh, they, she graduated from Texas Southern University in Houston. Good on her. Good on her. Hometown girl. With her done Bachelor good. of Science degree in Health Administration, a goal she set to honor her late mother and late grandmother. Oh God! Oh, wait. They're, 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 if they're passed away, who cares? Wow, she she made a she made a promise to her mother. Her mother died following like a like a cancer battle. How? Okay, you know, that's sad. But it's like, oh, I was gonna do that. The, uh, they they passed on, so I guess I'll just go to Chipotle instead. Yeah, and then that's that's how you get haunted. You want to get haunted? Oh no! What have I done? What this have I is done? exactly because that's how you get haunted. Make make a promise to the dead and then don't oh. keep it. Hal, see what happens. I was gonna say Spike Lee. He's he's bringing all these uh, wonderful high profile projects to Netflix, but uh, why can't he bring uh, a, a high profile uh, free agent to the New York Knicks? Huh? Huh? Sports Spike? commentary, what? folks. What? Did you see those photos this week of him in the like all bright orange outfit and he's posing with like is that Reggie Miller? I think and like a few other guys. He's Steph Curry. He's posing with these huge guys. He's this little dude in this like bright orange suit. Yeah, it was probably uh, Steph Curry, uh, Reggie Miller, and Ray Allen because Steph. Yes, Curry it was. Steph that's it was Ray Allen was the third one. You're absolutely oh, correct. And, um, yeah, who uh, who Spike Lee directed in, in the film? Uh, he got he game. Got game. Uh, wonderful film. Reggie Miller also in that, isn't he? I believe Reggie Miller also has a small role Reggie, in he got I don't game. know if I don't know if Reggie Miller is. Does he not um, show up in that? I think he might have like no. A you're small thinking role. of Denzel Washington. Um, no, no. I Denzel Washington is the star. I think no, Reggie Miller might cameo. Once again, you've conflated Denzel mm. Washington and Reggie Miller. Yeah. I do that all the time. Uh, you that do is that a big all problem. the time. You're like, oh, Reggie Miller was so good in Training Day. <laughs> like, Lon. Reggie no. Miller was was shooting the lights out for the Indiana Pacers when Training Day came out. It had nothing to do with it. I'm right. I'm right, J- jackass. Reggie, Reggie Miller, Miller absolutely has a small role in He Got Game. Uh, where did you where'd you find that? The I'm, internet? I'm reading it on Wikipedia. What, you believe everything you read? NBA players Shaquille O'Neal, Reggie Miller, Bill Walton, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and Syracuse University coach Jim Bonheim and NBA Bayheim, coaches Bayheim and NBA coaches Rick Patino and George Carl and broadcaster Dick Vitale all make cameo appearances early in the film. All right, God Boom. bless us everyone. Boom. Also, former football legend Jim Brown makes a brief appearance. Oh, the great Jim Brown. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Spike Lee uh, was at that game. Reggie Miller set the all-time – or, sorry, Steph Curry set the all-time NBA 
uh, yeah. three-pointer. I was just going to say, a lot of people were posting that picture being like, when you when you and your cousin take a picture with your favorite aunt at uh, Thanksgiving. Because it's like ah. Spike Lee. Everybody's oh. huge. And then like this yeah. little Spike Lee in his yes, orange suit. Yes. Oh, did you, see, uh, uh, adorable. did you see Pete Davidson um, in his pink, uh, in his like hot pink sweatshirt with Michael Jackson's face on it? And, I did. Like, and I missed like, this. I don't shot. keep up. I don't keep up with the Pete Davidson news as much as I should. I know. Uh, l- listen, I am. I am. I am here for all the of uh, Pete Davidson's uh, dalliances. And, yeah. Uh, but he was in the front row, and there was a like a picture of. Uh, Steph Curry h- hitting that uh, record-setting shot, and then you see the front row, and it's all a blur except for this bright pink hoodie. Yeah. So uh, there you go. And then some, some a blob next to it that's one of Hollywood's A-listers because yep. they they can't oh, get oh, enough. Of course, they, they can't, can't get, get enough. It's it's Cameron Diaz punching Halle Berry for a choice chance to be next to Pete Davidson. Yes, every fifty year old in Hollywood climbing <laughs> over themselves. Yeah. It's Helen Mirren fighting Sophia Loren for oh, an opportunity. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, Adam McKay and his big short co-writer Charles Randolph. They're gonna Wait, re-team. Are you saying this guy is like heavy set but of small stature? No, I'm saying they the, the he's movie a big the man, big but he's short. the big short. I don't know why the, I have to point out is wow. This is <laughs> this is this is the bits are it's the it's too the much. Bits are, the bits are the bits are in trouble today. I, I don't. I'm concerned about there, I'm, I'm concerned about our bits. There are too I feel many like, of them, and the and the quality is questionable. Folks, you're tuned into Bit Crisis 2021 here from the Bit Crisis Center. Houston, we've got a Bit Crisis. Yeah. University of Southern Texas in Houston. Send us your best health administrators because we have a Bit Crisis. Uh, no, The Big Short. You know the film. Yes, the film, the, the, film, yes, the Big about Short. about the housing crisis. Right, there you go. Thank you. Uh, Adam McKay and Charles Randolph wrote that film together, and now they're reteaming for an HBO limited series about the development of the COVID-19 vaccine. It's going to follow companies and individuals as they race against the clock to save lives and come up with the, the shot that then people refuse to get because it's going to put 5G inside them, yes. presumably. Uh, so the, the series they've been actually working on since uh, before there even was a vaccine uh, but now it's going to be based on two books, The First Shot by Brendan Borrell and mm-hmm. A Shot to Save the World by Gregory Zuckerman. I just, I feel like, a, I don't, I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of people are reacting this way online. Right. I feel like we're a little too close still to COVID for people to really want to see a dramatization, even of something upbeat. Because I get that this isn't about the horrors of COVID. This is the nice story about humans being resilient and coming up with something great that that saved people. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We're in the pandemic still. Omicron is here. Blah blah blah. So, yeah, I, I, right. I I don't know if it feels a little bit like a like a presumptive victory lap when we're not ready for that yet. Yes, and also I'm just like yeah. I mean I'm yeah, I'm vaxxed and boosted, but like it's just all. I'm a little sick of hearing so much just because it's so goddamn politicized in in ugly ways by uh, people. Yeah, I also I don't I don't know. There's there's part of me too that it, it feels like uh, it, it, there, there's something like predatory about it. Like the moment things dramatic things happen in the world, if you're like always the guy who's like I'm gonna pounce on this, I gotta make 
but I'm going to make a story about this. Like, don't, you don't want to always be that guy, you know, you know, like mining reality, like, ooh, what can I make out of this? And it's starting to feel a little bit like Adam McKay is just like reading the newspaper every day and like, hmm, I should be the one to tell this story. Like, maybe somebody else for a change. I don't know. What do you think? A little bit. Maybe you could do more about stepbrothers, humorous stepbrothers. I mean, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the Lakers show. Right. Well, no, the Lakers show is a good example of like not the one time he's not pouncing on something in the news. He's like going back and just, you know, making something that interests him. It's more like the Theranos thing and Vice and Big Short. It's just like you don't always have to be the guy who's commenting on the news. You know, like let somebody else taking the he's taking the mantle from Oliver Stone. Yeah, yeah. Like Ryan Murphy and Ridley Scott as they fight about every rich person murder. Oh, now we've got Adam McKay doing every political story. Yep. Oh, and and just like similarly, uh, uh, you know, I'm a noted wife guy and I was talking. Yeah, yeah. Historically noted. Yeah. uh, uh, Noted horn dog and wife guy. Well, they Uh, go hand in hand. Yes. Uh, I we were remarking how. The Gabby Petito case, like Gabby Petito's parents have already signed a uh, like a uh, with a documentary company uh, to like. Well, sure. There, there's something. already Hulu already has a documentary up that ABC News did about the, the disappearance of Gabby Petito. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, you know, if, if there's if there's something to be profiteered <laughs> off of. And I mean, look, there's always those TV movies. Like, remember, Amy Fisher had three different TV movies all within a few months. Joey Buttafuco. Yeah. That's an old reference, folks. But Joey Buttafuco is, yeah, that's a a big thing for like. Was it Marissa? Did Marissa Tomei play? No. Who played Amy? No, she was too. Did Drew Barrymore play? Yes, maybe. Drew Barrymore might have been. She was the right age to be Amy Fisher. Oh, my gosh. Maybe. It's a long time ago. Uh, let's move on. Blue yeah. Beetle. He, uh, the DC Comics hero, Blue Beetle. He's getting a movie. Now, there are multiple Blue Beetles in the DC universe, Hal. There's also oh. Ted Kord. But we're talking about Jaime Reyes, uh, the most recent Blue Beetle. He's going to be played by Cobra Kai star uh, Zolo Maradueña. He's a Mexican-American teen, finds a piece of alien armor that grants him astounding superpowers. Now, this movie was going to debut directly on HBO Max, but it will now debut in theaters in August 2023. Warner Media mixing up their strategy. They've decided to put Blue Beetle in movie theaters where he belongs. Ah, will the Blue Beetle yield box office gold? Yeah. I mean, I maybe may they also have, you know, the, there's Batgirl that's also going directly to HBO Max. That was going to be the plan that there were going to be some DC Comics movies that go to theaters and then others that go directly to HBO Max. But now it already seems like they're kind of messing around with those plans. Maybe Batgirl as well will end up going to theaters. Uh, time will tell. Perhaps they're looking at the success of Spider-Man never coming home again is having right now in no theaters and they're no like way home. no way home that's right i'm sure i was just funning i was just goofing <laughs> yep, around yep yep uh but uh i mean how do they compare uh a well obviously yeah i'm just saying like there, there's some reason something happened that both made them bugs both bug related yeah that's what i'm saying that that's what i meant america loves bug-based heroes yeah you got Are, do spiders count as bugs 
I mean, an arachnid. Like, they're arachnids. I, I, they're not insects, but I don't know if they're, they might be bugs. I, you know what? That line of question bugs me. Yes, a spider's a bug. Come on, let's get colloquial. Get be colloquial. Be real. Okay, I'm just I'm just asking. I'm asking before it comes up in the forums. You know, the, those busy know, the know. binge boys forums where they pick apart everything oh, we say. They go in with a fine tooth comb. Relentlessly picking apart everything. Ooh. I'm just I'm sure they're gonna be in there debating whether we properly refer to spiders as bugs. I'm just trying to get ahead. I'm trying to get ahead of the narrative. Get ahead of the subreddit. Get ahead of the subreddit. Yeah. It's strongly starting to look like Netflix is developing a live-action Mega Man film. You remember Mega Man? Hal, oh, yeah. he's that he's little a, blue robot guy. guy. Yeah, and he, and he absorbs uh, other the powers. Right, he fights control, yeah. other robots and then somehow steals their technology gimmick and uses it as his own. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, an update on the website of production company Supermarché. Uh, which which holds the rights, indicates that the long-planned film project is currently in pre-production, along with Chernin Entertainment and Netflix, and it was it, it's headed for the streamer. So we may end up seeing this long-rumored, long-in-development Mega Man film before too much longer. Well, how about it? There you go. Well, oh, what, do you, well, what, do you, Man, what do you think? You excited well, for a Mega Man film, Hal? Huh? No, not at all. But we'll, <laughs> see if, we'll see if Mega Man yields mega bucks at the box office. Perhaps it will. Will it be a mega hit or a mega flop? Mega Man! Coming in 2023, perhaps. I just thought as a Mega Man, you might be interested in noted, a Mega Man movie. Noted horn dog, white <laughs> guy, and Mega Man. Yeah, you know, you know how, Kyle, like, uh, that's, all, that's behind the paywall. You have to go to Patreon to hear all of Hal's Ooh. hard right, yeah, anti-Biden yeah. screeds. Let's just say behind uh, the paywall, I put on my red hat and talk about Brandon. <laughs> what happened to Let's Go Brandon? Where where did that? I feel like that disappeared know, overnight. Was it when we? Was it when no, we kind of started think being still like doing it? I think they're still doing. I don't know, folks. If you're out there, send us an email. Drop us a line. Let us know if you're still sassing Brandon. If you're still doing the Let's Go Brandon bit, I feel like it was. We all kind of were like, this doesn't bother. They found it doesn't really trigger the libs enough. I think that's the problem. Yeah. I think yeah. they thought it was going to really trigger the libs, and then we were all like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Or, like, people already realize, like, yeah, we're in end times. I don't care. Whatever. Like, coughing with no mask in the face of their babies. That still triggers the libs. Got to keep doing that. Oh, Just saying, let's to. go, Brandon, doesn't really work, you know. Yeah, but but got gotta go into food town and cough in. Yeah, someone's gotta face. cough in people's faces. Uh, journalist Joe Nocera, he created the podcast The Shrink Next Door. He was the guy next door who learned the whole story because he was living in the house Marty Markowitz owned, okay. where Doctor Isaac Hirschkopf was living. The Shrink Next Door, uh, alternately titled The Jewiest Jews in Jewtown. Yeah, hey, we're <laughs> Jews here. Oh, Come look at the Jews. I'm a Will Ferrell, and I'm a yeah. Jew. Oh, can, I don't know why I'm doing. I'm doing Jerry Lewis. Like, nice lady, can I get you a bagel? No, I'm Catherine Horn, and my brother. I'm not getting along with my brother. So the guy who created the podcast, which was, which then inspired the show, he is suing. 
Bloomberg News, which was his employer when he created this show. Uh, he's right. saying they're not fairly sharing the profits of what they made. Now, it, the interesting thing about it is this has gone through so many. Like, Jonas Era created this podcast when he was working for Bloomberg News. But gotcha. Bloomberg News took the project to Wondery, and Wondery was the company that actually produced the podcast, The Shrink Next Door. And then okay. Wondery, through its development deal with Apple, got the TV adaptation made. So it does seem like the, these deals must have all been laid out. Like, that's like so many different hands. Like, yeah. it, it seems late in the game for Jonas Sarah to just now realize, like, wait a minute, I'm not getting paid for this like I should be. But, yeah, you what, know, is Joe, is Joe Nocera like, uh, hey, they're feathering their nest. Meanwhile, I'm still uh, eating ramen noodles in my studio apartment over here. It sounds I mean, if he was living in the Hamptons house next to Marty Markowitz, he seems like he must be doing OK. It's also uh, his legal team is now asking for half. They said he said they say he's owed half of whatever Bloomberg made. And that does sound fair. I mean, it's his story. We wouldn't even know about this story if he hadn't lived next door to these guys and learned about it. Listen, it sound it's it sounds fair, but show me the fine print, pal. Show me the contracts. As our show's legal advisor, Hal says, show me the Carfax. So yes, exactly. Jonah, Sarah, show us the Carfax, and then you gotta check the Carfax before you buy a car or before you sell a show to Wondery. We don't have any kind of legal. I didn't sign a goddamn thing before we started making this show. I don't know Listen. who owns it. I think Taco probably owns this. All I know is I got the Carfax in my in my filing cabinet over here. Th this show has suffered water damage. <laughs> yeah, a, clearly. A small, a small trunk fire. Yeah, just last week, uh, my balcony door broke. So we yep. got a lot, a lot of, a lot of wear and tear a on this podcast. Wear and tear on this. It's a well trod. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I, I was surprised to find that uh, half of the profits for this podcast were going to Joe No Sarah. Because I was like, wait a minute, he didn't. Yeah, he doesn't I, live next door to me. I didn't. I did not see that in the fine print. Yeah. Uh, anyway, best of luck to all of them. HBO renewed their Music Box documentary anthology for another season. Uh, season one, of course, included the Woodstock 99 documentary we talked about on this very show. Also, documentary profiles of Alanis Morissette, Kenny G, DMX, Juice World, and rock manager Robert Stigwood, who also produced the film Saturday Night Fever. He oh, yeah. uh, was the manager of Bee Gees, uh, The Who, Cream, I believe, among his other acts. Let me ask you a question, Lon. If, if you were, to, if, if you could see any musical act or, or story chronicled in HBO's Music Box series, who would it? What it would? What would it be? I, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I, I I'm, I'm not really that interested. I, I'm not one of those people that's super curious about everybody whose music I like. Like. Tell me their whole life story. Not to say that I don't enjoy a good documentary. Like I watched the I watched the DMX episode of Music Box, and I thought it was really good, and I was very entertained by it. But I didn't start out going like, "Ooh, I wonder what the life of DMX was like." I just got sucked in by it when I watched it. So I don't know. I'm, 
I don't really know. But did it make you lose your mind? Did it make you lose your mind up in your apartment? Up in up in there? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in this Martin Scorsese film about Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead. Like, I know some elements of that story. I was really, I loved the Velvet Underground documentary that we watched earlier in the year. Very well. Uh, and, and I mean, like, you know, I've watched great documentaries about Neil Young, Bob Dylan. There's lots of it. David Bowie. Summer of Summer of Soul. Was Summer terrific. of Soul, which we watched. I mean, you know, I, I could name anybody. I just, I don't. There's not like one pressing case where I'm like, ooh, I really would like, like, like even Daniel Johnston. There's a great uh, The Devil and Daniel Johnston, a great documentary about his uh, his career. You know, there, there's all sorts of great stories. I just don't know them offhand. My ideal music box would be um, who's a better lover, Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth. Why would you assume Sammy Hagar? That's interesting. No, I said. Like, what's the argument that that you're in your? Who's a better lover? Either or. I'm just saying. It seems to me like David Lee Roth wins easily. Like how? How? uh, Like you really think this is a real competition? I think. I think maybe Sammy Hagar could be a very giving lover. I I I would be surprised if that if the verdict ended up being Sammy Hagar. I would be surprised. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, uh, that's why we need this this deep dive. I, I think a guy who can't even drive 55, I don't know, maybe not the best hand-eye coordination. Maybe because uh, of control issues. Maybe no, some... he could, but he refuses. No, he can't. Not it, The song does not say, I won't drive 55. He can't. He physically can't. I think he just refuses. No, I'm sorry. You're wrong. That's my, that would well, be, I won't. I refuse well, to drive. That's how that would have to go. I am going to interpret his poetry the Mm. way I... Too much Cabo Wabo. Poetry's open to... He loves... Listen, he loves driving fast and drunk. Yeah, that's... Listen, that's all you got to know about Sam Hagar. But a tender lover. In theory, I don't know. I don't feel like you have an evidence point for this. A tender, curly-haired lover. (laughs) Right now. Very demanding. (laughs) Uh, Last news story. No trailers this week because fuck it. I didn't see anything I thought was worth bringing up. Uh, I'm just interested in this. I don't think anybody listening is going to be. So ITV, the British network, has picked up a new TV adaptation of the Len Dayton novel, The Ipcris File. It'll air on ITV in the UK. AMC Plus is going to stream it in the US. Now there is... There are three Michael Caine films that were made in the 60s about Harry Palmer, the British spy who's in the Ipcris file, and then he was in two other books that got made into movies. And it's such a fun series, and you never hear about it. Like, Yeah, I, I don't I feel like familiar. James Bond is like the only British spy series that anybody remembers, even though it was part of a whole big fad of British espionage stories in that era. Because now we right. have Austin Powers and the Kingsman. Well, right, Austin Powers is making fun of like Matt Helm and some of these other yeah, other baby, series. Yeah. Right, but uh, but Harry Palmer, the bit is do I make he, you horny, my wife? He's arrested by British, the, the military police, and they basically give him an offer like, we can send you to the brig, you can go to prison, or we can make you a spy. But we'll send you on shitty assignments that nobody else wants that are extra dangerous. So he still takes the spy gig, and then there are just spy movies where he's like outwitting other people because he's kind of clever and double dealing. And it's a really great role for Michael Caine. And it's also fascinating to see because they... 
they start off very like kind of self-serious and sober, more like a Tinker Tailor soldier spy sort of intricate story. But then by Billion Dollar Brain, the third one, Bond was already in high gear Mm. and it became like really campy and over the top and like, you know, villain lairs and women in bikinis and whatever. And so it's it's kind of a fascinating historical artifact. So I'm really hoping new Harry Palmer series is going to revitalize interest in the whole franchise. Probably not. I doubt it will make much of a ripple on this side of the Atlantic. I just thought I would mention it. And a, a good, compelling reason to get AMC Plus, a service we don't talk about very much on the Binge Boys, but that nonetheless is out there. Right? Yeah. I don't. I don't know if we've watched uh, show one from AMC Plus, have we? Well, I don't. I don't have AMC Plus, so I don't really. I might get it to check this out. And there, there are other. They're bringing out a lot of stuff. It's um, AMC is kind of using a different strategy than a lot of other companies, rather than one streaming service that's like everything AMC altogether. Right. They're they've got a bunch of different options, you know, like they there's there's a bunch of like niche streaming services that are all operating under this umbrella, including AMC Plus, Sundance Now, Acorn TV, Shutter, IFC has one. Uh, TV. Not Core Cup TV. There's even All, all Black, uh, which is, uh, you know, like their version of like a BET. And um, so it's interesting. It's like a different approach. So they're all cheaper, like Shudder a lot of people like and AMC Plus. And, and uh, it's just an interesting strategy. See if see how that's going to work is out long term. Is, is there a stream? You know a lot about streaming, right, Lon? I try. I do what I can. Is there like a streaming network that's like 50 cents a month? Well, there's a bunch of free ones. There's Tubi and uh, right. Pluto TV and Roku Channel. If you have a Roku device, it's free. Actually, you could go to Roku's website and watch Roku Channel for free, even if you don't have a Roku device. They're all ad-supported. So I don't think there's one that does that cheap because what would be that you might as well just do it free and, and sell ads rather than making 50 cents per user. But okay. there are some that are as cheap as 2 or $3. I just think it would be, like, very cute. To like to charge tw- like twenty five cents to charge like twenty five cents like for only a quarter a month you can watch all of our programs. You would have to go to like you know Apple TV or Amazon channels or there are those platforms where they offer a bunch of these niche smaller services. Ooh. That's where a lot of these a- like you can get all the AMC services through Amazon, so you don't oh. have to go sign up at their own website. They have apps as well, but. Uh, that would be where you'd find like a lot of the two and three dollar per month ones instead of what eight about or ten. A little cute one that was twenty five cents. I mean, I I think that's that's probably too cheap. I just that's more like that's that those are OnlyFans prices. Just put it up on OnlyFans. You don't need a whole streaming right, service. All right, all right. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's it, Hal. That's it for the news. You you did you did wet my interest though uh, with those. Wet I wet your interest. Disgusting. W H E T. W H E T. You could wet somebody's appetite. I don't think you could wet their interest. You wetted my interest. I moistened. I moistened your interest. No, you wetted my interest. You wetted it. I don't it. think you can. I don't think that's how it works. I think well, you wet I'm, your I'm appetite. Gonna look, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look this up because I don't think you wet. You sharpen. You uh, to wet is to. You, to to sharpen a blade, but it's also to stimulate your appetite, not your desire, not your, what, not your uh, interest. To sharpen the blade. Yeah. Wet my wet my interest. I don't want to wet your interest. I want nothing no. to do with that. 
My interest is sopping wet. Leave me, leave me out of it. Leave me some, out of this. I've got some wet ass interests. Yeah, it's like I'm like I'm doing like the Taylor Swift. Like I don't wish to be part of this narrative. Coming up, we're gonna talk some shows that we watched, including a Korean supernatural show, Hellbound. Lon, uh, we uh, took a look at a. Uh, Korean export uh, on Netflix. On yeah, Netflix, we did. And it's called Hellbound. And you know what? It's uh, I didn't expect it, but I just sat down and watched this show in one day. I banged it out. And it had a lot of the story construction, the twists and turns. I I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's hard to kind of put your finger on. It's, it is a bit of a genre-defying show. Uh, to begin right. with. I think it, it seems like it's going to be this fantasy story. It, 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 it's set in a world where all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, a very strange supernatural phenomenon begins happening to different people all around the world, seemingly with no sense behind it. A face appears to them and says, you're going to die and go to hell, and it gives them a day and a time, and then when that day and a time arrives, creatures appear out of the ground, beat you to death really brutally and horribly. Yeah, three giant creatures that look like Venom and the Incredible Hulk had a baby. Right, and then they, they literally, like, drag your soul down to hell and leave just, like, a little charred part of a corpse in your in your, where you were. Uh, so you think it's going to be about what that is, like, what's happening to people, but it's really not. It reminded me a lot of The Leftovers. Did you ever watch that HBO show? I, I'm a big fan of The Leftovers. So that opens with a similar, uh, opens with a similar kind of sci-fi fantasy premise. One day, all of these people just vanished and nobody knows what happened to them. And I, and you think it's going to be about unpacking that, but it's not. It's about how do the people who are left on Earth respond to what's happening, mm-hmm. it, because with, it, it's inexplicable. Like, this thing happens, nobody can make sense of it, and it inspires all of these myriad different reactions, and in the case of, of Hellbound, uh, it really gives rise to this cult that says they have an explanation for mm-hmm. what's happening, and they end up sort of taking over society almost. We, there's a big time jump at one point. But it's a really fascinating exploration of those ideas, and not so much trying to untangle the mystery of what's happening, which is kind of outside right. of the purview of the show. D- yeah, d- but, and, and tonally, it's it's something uh, very unique and all to all its own, but it feels like there are notes of other shows. Like you mentioned The Leftovers, and then there's definitely like police procedural. I thought right. there was like a, uh, a hint of The Handmaid's Tale, a little bit just with music and the gore. There was like, oh, that's kind of reminiscent of The Walking Dead. Um, I thought there were a, like, th- there were a lot of yeah. cool elements kind of packed into this show. And not only that, it like, it's very, the first half of it, um, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna give too much away, um, but the first half, is is like you're following one storyline and then we have a shift in the second half but it all fits together it comes together really well but um yeah you you think it's going in one direction when it when you expect it to uh zig it zags and um there's a it's, it's filled with a lot of cool surprises and one thing i'd love to hear what you think about this i felt like it's kind of it really touches on a lot of the uh it's it's just kind of a parable for uh, just f- 
uh, fascism and like mob rule and uh, with these different groups that are kind of take control. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, it like the leftovers, it, it really touches on this issue of life is terrifying and inexplicable and we're every day faced with the unknown. And, and the, that's what this is sort of this really potent metaphor is like, there's this terrifying thing that's happening and we can try to make sense of it. Like you can have a theory about, oh, that face that appears is an angel. And then these things that appear are devils. And this is about sinning or this is God's message to the world. Or like, you can understand where theories like that would come from, but we don't have any way to prove it for sure. And obviously that's a very potent metaphor for a lot of things about human life on earth, where we're just constantly faced by these huge questions that don't seem to have answers. And how we answer them and who we take answers from and who we trust for guidance becomes so important. And I feel like it's an interesting exploration of that more than the actual what's happening in terms of what are these creatures. It's about, you know, like the pull to try to want to understand because it's scary if you can't understand and make sense of it and it's just random that you can't go get through your day. You know, how do I go through life thinking this could happen to me or somebody I care about at any moment because it's so horrible. And so you start to understand like, well, that's the appeal of this cult or this group or, uh, you know, and then obviously there are a lot of parallels to our own world and people who get sucked into all kinds of terrible things and organizations and groups and beliefs mm -hmm. because they're trying to make sense of a world that does not uh, make a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's it just the, the frailty of humanity and how much we want things explained to uh, ourselves. We, we, want, yeah. we, we want there to be answers in this life where there uh, aren't any answers. And just, the con again, back to the construction of the show, it's really unpredictable. Like, it introduces yeah. characters and kills off characters, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat. I did, I was like, oh, I'll pro like most shows that Lon and I watch, um, I'm, I'm gonna watch at least two of them, and I'm like, okay, I'll be good, maybe I'll watch three. But this, it's six episodes, and I I was like, you know what? I gotta uh, take it to the end. And I did, and you did not, I, like, I brought this up for like a month. Every week I was like, hey, we should watch that Korean show, Hellbent. Yeah. So this was, I had to kind of pull you to this one. Yeah, and, um, but really worth it. Uh, there you go. Su yeah, super, super enjoyable. And again, the themes, like, you'll find it, like, you know, resonates. And I don't know, I found it evocative of, like, the political situation in America. It's the, it, it's the same uh, filmmaker who did Train to Busan, that zombie yes, film yes, on the train. Great Korean and he, horror movie. Yeah, and he, he's very good at genre stories and these stories that suck you in with the fantasy and with the effects and with the it's it, you know horror tropes but then like it goes one level deeper and it really does become an exploration of humanity and how as humans we deal with and we face crises and the emotions that get stirred and the reactions that come up both projects are really kind of zeroing in on that and it, they're they're both very good I, yeah. his, he did another zombie movie called Peninsula that's like set in the world of Train to Busan. Not quite as good. This right. reminds me more of Train to Busan. Yeah, Hellbound is really good. Oh, but what about uh, from the uh, from the Clint Eastwood uh, American Sniper Files? That was a uh, fake baby. <laughs> yeah, there are there are some see, there are some scenes involving a baby where pretty clearly 
They are using a a a, a doll or some kind a, a, of a realistic looking doll, but a doll. Of what is visibly, it's 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 honestly, I think sometimes it's, and I don't mean to knock the actors, but I think sometimes you could just tell, like, it's hard to fake how you would handle an actual infant versus how you handle a doll that you're pretending is an infant. Like, yeah. there's just, you could just read that as a human. There's an extra level of care and anxiety you bring to <laughs> yeah. holding, cradling an actual baby. Whereas when it's a doll, you're like, all right, let's, let's you know, I like this. that the baby's name was Tuffy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm the K- Korean, I'm the, whatever the Korean analog of that. Uh, it, I don't know, but I, I watched yeah. it with, uh, I, I watched it dubbed, so... Um, oh, you come on, Hal! I thought I, I taught you better than that. I know, no, I'm, I'm, I've gone, I've gone off uh, the rails. Yeah, now. really. Uh, but uh, Hellbound, uh, Hellbound, Hellbound. Oh yeah, get everything's ACDC. great in the. No, sorry, that's hell. That's Hellhole. That's Spinal uh, Tap's Hellhole, folks. Whatever uh, song you want to equate with hell in it. Hellbound on Netflix, yeah, absolutely worth checking out. Um, a an entertaining show and a frightening parable for the real world. Uh, all right, uh, we watched another Netflix show, uh, Saturday Morning All Star Hits, uh, from uh, Kyle Mooney and uh, Ben Jones, animator Ben, jo- ben, ben Jones. Jones, yes, owner uh, of Bento Box, which also they animate Bob's Burgers. Oh, very nice, very nice, and uh, produced by Lauren Michaels. Uh, this is uh, this is a real fun ride. I've I've only gotten through about half of it, but oh uh, man, it it builds. <laughs> yeah, it does. There, so um, it's uh, it, it's it's exactly what it says. It is. It's a Saturday morning cartoon cavalcade hosted by these cool dudes who got like real '90s vibes and. Uh, the show has a through line with these hosts, which are it's two guys, both played by Kyle Mooney. Like, yeah, Skip and Trabor, they are twins, and they're both played by Kyle Mooney. And I have to say, before we go any further, we've we've seen so many things with split screen effects, where it's yeah. like one actor playing twins or whatever. It's it's not only totally seamless in this because it's always seamless at, at this point, but they. They navigate it very – it's so seamless that you forget. Like, I, I, I've rarely seen this much split screen used constantly. Not since the disgraced Army Hammer's Winklevoss twins. Right. And they're, but, but even in that, like, they're, it's, it's self-conscious. It's like when Fincher shoots shots with them together and they're interacting, it's like the movie is like, eh, look at this. Whereas yeah. with Saturday Morning Officer Hits, you can seriously forget sometimes that there's like – sometimes there are three or four Kyle Moonies in one scene. Yes. And it's, it's all done in this style to make it look like cheap 90s TV, mm-hmm. like handheld camera stuff. It's really well done. Like there were times I forgot that I was like – Oh, they shot this like four times because Kyle Mooney had to act all these different roles. Yep, yep. And uh, it's super well done. And like he's playing these varied parts. Like Kyle Mooney's very impressive. And then it's the the through line with the twin brothers is great. And then all of the little cartoons, which are uh, parodying or inspired by different cartoons of that era. Like you have uh, Care Bears and like sort of a Thundercats. Uh, uh, Jag and like a few different others that are um, super fun and entertaining and very subversive. There's uh, like kind of a hint, just as far as the vibe, a little bit of a little bit of Wonder Chosen, uh, if if you if folks know that show. Yeah, 
I mean, this this is the interesting balance about it. Is it's got it's got like a dash of that. Like it's got yes. a little bit of Adult Swim. Yeah, Wonder shows it that very like alt comedy edge. Like it's it, it's giving some of that. It's bringing some of that. Like there's there's a there's a bit called Randy, which is about a teenage dinosaur. It's obviously supposed to be Denver, the last dinosaur. That that '90s cartoon. Gotcha. And he's like a teenage dinosaur. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, are you too old for Denver the Last Dinosaur? Probably. Uh, it was, it was like a late 80s, early 90s cartoon. And it was like, it was Randy. It was like a dinosaur and it was like a petrified egg, but it hatched in modern times mm-hmm. and he became friends with a bunch of teenagers. So it's mm. like the same setup as Randy in the beginning. But in their version, Randy becomes like he has a girlfriend who breaks up with him and then he becomes like a depressed alcoholic. And and so it's got it's got some of that edge. There's there's another one that's Strongimals, another show that's obviously supposed to be Thundercats-esque, yep. but the bit is like they're hyper violent. So they're like punching each other or like you know the, 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 they're decimating the bad guys and blood is spurting everywhere. But it's and, like and, and using way too much violence on like people who are weak and defenseless. Right. And, and but it's like we're so used to I think Adult Swim, which would take that stuff to like the the thousandth degree. You know, like too many cooks and that kind of yes, Adult Swim stuff, yes. where it gets really weird and gory and disturbing. And this never goes there. This always keeps it like. It yeah. is a lot like a Saturday morning cartoon. Right on the precipice. Right on the precipice. Right. They keep it like it it does remind you consistently of real Saturday morning shows and cartoons, but right right up to the edge. Yeah, it's absolutely not for kids. Like it's it almost is. It's like it is right. and then That's what I mean. oh, and then this guy vomits from drinking too much. Right. They're something. like they're and, they're they're taking it to the edge, but they're never going all the way over the edge. And it's it's interesting because there are times when you kind of wish that they would. Like, well, obviously it's all we're all adults watching this. There aren't kids watching this. Right. I don't know why you they're they're there, there seems to be a very conscious attempt to like, we can't push it too far. It's got to stay very true and authentic to the voice of these real shows. And it's it's interesting. It reminded me a lot of like Lonely Island, like that obsessiveness with like, you, you can't just parody it. You've got to like copy the original so closely that it's like a mirror of what you're parodying. I think they set a good bar for the show though by not going too far because if it goes... Once it goes to, once you raise the bar here, it's hard to get back there. It's like, oh, do we have to keep heightening? And I like that. I, I think there's a delicate, uh, like, deft hand here. Yeah, no, I think that it, it's definitely purposeful because the idea is it's a story. Like, yeah. not only all the cartoons, as you mentioned, are narrative, like they have a beginning and an end of their own story, mm-hmm. but. The wraparound segments, like Skip and Trebor and their saga, yes. has a beginning and end. And then I won't spoil this for you because I know you're not through it. But there's even another narrative that runs behind, like in the background, that you don't even realize until the end that you've been following. Uh, right. So there's a lot going on, and they got they 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 stayed true to the narrative rather than spinning it off and making it Tim and Eric. And, and crazy mm-hmm. and just going anything for a joke. They really kept it to this weird story that you're sort of following over the course of what looks like these videotapes that were taped off of TV in the early 90s. It's an interesting experiment. I doubt I doubt it's ever coming back. Like, I don't think there's going to be more seasons of this. It feels like a one-off sort of thing. 
Um, but I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, but it, and it's very enjoyable, especially you know if, if you know if you have that experience of watching, you know, of growing up with American cartoons and Saturday yeah. mornings or after school shows, and uh, and and then there's a lot of just like fun little Easter eggs and like different. Uh, commercials for things and like you know there's a there's a save by the bell type riff like of one like commercial yeah it really goes deep on parodying that whole era of kids tv or tv for young people in the early 90s it's like if you were if you were about like 12 to 15 in that era there's like a lot of jokes that are obviously aimed right at you yeah. Uh, and then I also would mention the voice cast. Like, Kyle Mooney voices a lot of the characters, but there's also Emma Stone shows up, Pamela Adlon, Beck Bennett, Paul Rudd, Chris Redd. But then there's also a lot of, like, real cartoon character act, like voice actors, like Eric Bauza and Kevin Michael Richardson and Frank Welker and Maurice LaMarche. Like, a lot of the voices you really would recognize from yes. that era of animation and and again like adding to that lived in very realistic feel where it does remind you of those real cartoons yeah and it it's super fun and it's it's uh, really dumb weird and trippy too so uh yeah sm smoke a big fat bowl of hashish and enjoy Saturday morning all star hits uh it's it's a fun time uh and that is available now on Netflix. And then uh, the final show we watched is coming to us from HBO, HBO Max, and uh, from Sky Productions in uh, Great Britain. Uh, Landscapers, Landscapers with Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis. And uh, I, one I once made a, re I remember this, Lon, I once made a reference to a David Thewlis film from the 90s, Naked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, on um, on movie Great film. fights. On movie fights. Yeah. Yes. Mike I, I, Lee. I love. Yes, Mike Lee. I love that film. I love David Thewlis in that movie. That's I became a, a David Thewlis um, big fan of his from that film. Most of our listeners will probably know him as Remus Lupin from the Harry Potter films. Yes. Also, he was uh, the uh, bad guy in Wonder Woman, the first one. That's right. He's the god Ares in Wonder Woman. Yep. That's true. Um, and uh, I, when, when we when we were talking uh, last week about this sh show before we watched it, uh, you, you were talking about giving it like seeing where the second episode uh, took it. Mm -hmm. I, the second episode really uh, pulled me in. I thought the second episode kind of cemented that I, I am uh, into it. Not like, oh, this is like the next, like it's filling the void of succession or something like that. But <laughs> no. I'm enjoying Well, it's yeah. only four. There's only two more left after gotcha. this. So yeah. It's but, not going to um, fill the void of succession. No. Uh, but I'm, I'm enjoying this show. I'm enjoying the performances and uh, the the stylized uh, directing touches and uh, dream sequences. Uh, did the second episode do that for you? Where are you at with this uh, show? We'll talk a little bit about what it's about, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of like, like I, I, I like it. It's interesting. It's a true story. So there's some innate drama to it. Olivia Coleman, David Thewlis, Terrific, great actors. I mm -hmm. like that it's taking this kind of unconventional kind of dark comedy approach to it where it's not just like a totally straight ahead version of the story. Having said that, it is a little pleased with itself. I feel like it's made yes. with like 
15, 20% too much preciousness, and it's doing a lot of like, there's a lot of bells and whistles. You know, it, it's made in a, in a very self-conscious way. There's a lot of like artsy sort of ideas and a yes. lot of, a lot of, you know, sequences where it's like, oh, well, we'll show this projected on the wall behind this character. Or we'll shoot this in a sort of surreal, otherworldly way while this is going on. Or we'll jump around in time during this whole sequence. And yeah. a lot of it just seems like it's a little bit getting in its own way. And I feel like the strength of this story is these performances. And you might as well let us enjoy them as delivered. Yes, Olivia Coleman is like might be wearing the title belt right now for best um actor on the planet. Like she's as good as anybody and David Thewlis is freaking great. So, 100%. And to what Lon is saying, they the, the director has these stylized choices and these dream sequences that intermittently either feel shoehorned and like like a square peg in a round hole or like very nice and resonating like it like oh that's a lovely move what just happened there and how it went from real life into this dreamy kind of world continuing this conversation and back again but then other times it's like mm, forced a little forced but it's always interesting and like lon said there's something fascinating about that it is a, a true story it's about this couple who um uh, move from great britain to france and then are accused of a murder and brought back to um great britain to be interrogated etc and but it's th the thing that really locked it in for me in the second episode I thought the stylized elements were well more well done in the second episode than the first. And then also, Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis, there's a lot of interrogation and seeing them and their reactions and kind of this cat and mouse that they're unsuccessfully playing yeah. with, with, with the police is there's so much um, sly and subtle comedy um, and not laugh out loud comedy, but just very enjoyable to watch. And Olivia Coleman, she, uh, I think a lot of people may not realize just what a rich comedy pedigree she has. And she's yeah. so damn funny. She is so good. Uh, just, um, and it's also, you get the backstory and the why starts to unfold in the second episode. So, um, I think this is absolutely uh, worth watching, and it's just, uh, you know, at, at the very least, a delightful trifle. Yeah, I think that's kind of more where I'm at. It's like, I'm enjoying it, it's fun, it's entertaining, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's like the greatest thing, or I, I don't know, I'll probably stick with it. That's the, yeah, that's and there's probably something the, the nicest weird, thing I've Like, at the, in the very first episode, the, the first shot it like does this thing that's like straight out of marriage story if if you watch that or if you didn't but like you hear the like the first ad say background action and then we never come back to that trope of breaking the fourth wall so it's like no. there's it's just it a lot of the stylistic choices feel a little random so you'll know exactly yeah that that's kind of what i was saying yeah it just it doesn't feel like it's that it's necessarily like a coherent whole it just it's like there's a lot of interesting stuff but it's i'm entertained by it i'm i'm probably going to stick with it 
the the supporting cast does uh, a nice job as well of just being super watchable and fun to watch. They, um, good comedic performances throughout. And Landscapers, it's available now on uh, two episodes, I think, are up. Maybe a third is coming up uh, pretty quick here on uh, HBO Max. Worth checking out. A delightful trifle at the very least. There you go, folks. Lon, those are all the shows we've watched this week. And I'm out. I'm out of things to say. That's it. I'm done. I have no more words. We've said everything. We've said the stuff about the things. We've said everything there is to say. Except for Hoot Hoot Owl Nation, Where My Gahooligans At, Hashtag Owl Nation, Starburns Audio, thanks for having us. Appreciate uh, you folks. I also very much appreciate super producer Travis Reeves. Travis, thank you for uh, making Lon and I sound that much better. Jason K., thanks for the sweet licks to open up the show. Lon, tell them where they can find you or whatever you want to say. Don't find me. Leave me alone. Oh. No, I'm kidding. And find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to do it. You can also check out my newsletter that gets published five days a week. It's totally free. You go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up for that. I also do another podcast with Drew Grant, a.k.a. Video Drew. That is on her network, Content Candy. Just look up Content Candy wherever you find podcasts and then look for Garmin Shosia. That's the show we do together. There you go. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. Come, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, talk some crap on the, the, uh, on social media. And then also, uh, I do a live stream Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on the West Coast, two to four on the East Coast. And you can find it by, th- this is, uh, listen, it's hard to find. So do you have an Alexa device or an Echo? Tell your Alexa to open back channel. And there I, I will be live at 11 a.m. on the West Coast. Or you can find back channel on YouTube and uh, watch the stuff there. So uh, just just started doing this. It's, it's a lot of fun, though. We talk pop culture uh, news, and there's a lot of goofing around and shenanigans. So check that out if you can find it. Otherwise, appreciate you being here, folks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.